0: Hi, I'm I'm John Atack, and I'm today dealing with the very flamboyant Chris Shelton. Um, he's delighted that I've used that word to describe him.
1: Yes, no one's ever said that. I, I always think of Liberace when you when you use words like that. You know. <laughs>
0: I can just see you coming onto a stage in a silver carriage with two white horses. (laughs) That's not quite what I was thinking of. I I associate the word with Keith Moon, the the drummer with the hope. Oh! Because that's why I started playing the drums when I was 15. That's what people used to say about me too. I I wasn't as good at pulling faces as he was, but I can play play what he played, you know.
1: (laughs) Nice, nice. Well, uh, yes. Well, welcome to Sensibly Speaking Podcast as well. Uh, This is being dual done for John's channel and mine, as always, and I want to thank everybody for welcoming us into your home this week, and we're going to talk about brainwashing. Brainwashing. Oh, my God. it's It's still totally, as John and I were talking about before the show, it's still very much in my mind right now. This documentary, Stolen Youth, really brought some stuff to mind about how brainwashing really works and the myths surrounding it. And John has done some really champion research on this stuff lately. And uh, so we're gonna talk uh, about this topic. This is a controversial topic in some circles, but it really shouldn't be. The physical means of going about you know, changing people's minds when they don't necessarily want to change their minds has been something that's been going on for millennia. This is nothing new in the human experience. Um, but codifying it, talking, breaking it down, deconstructing it and working out how it all works so that we can resist it, fight it, you know, uh, get rid of it when we see it in our coming up in in our vicinity, that's what this is all about. So hey John, let's talk.
0: <laughs> but if, if we started out with a, a spectrum, a spectra spectrums a very you know very fashionable in the last 10 years. Yes. And we're all on the spectrum somewhere, let's face it. Um, we're all a little bit neurodivergent if we get into it. But at one end of the spectrum, you have the idea that everybody makes up their own mind about stuff. Everybody is, is rational. This in economics is a doctrine of rational expectations. You can presume that human beings will act rationally. Hmm. Well, you can if you want. But it's a stupid presumption, frankly, <laughs> from my experience of human beings. Yes. We are not that smart. Then at the other end of the scale, you've got Richard Condon and the uh, Manchurian Candidate, as played by Lawrence Harvey in the original uh, film and Denzel Washington in, in the, the remake. And it's a great story. You know, the idea that you can implant a command into somebody and get them to do something. And there is actually some evidence of it. Uh, not as found, you know, with the CIA and their MK Ultra, MK Naomi, Project Bluebird, all of this good stuff. They don't appear to have been tremendously se- successful, though it did produce some incredible stories, like the guy who had a two-way mirror and was having prostitutes give LSD to people so that he could sit and see what happened. And he didn't want to miss a second of it, so he actually had a commode so that he could sit on the commode while watching this happen. And people suggest that that the intelligence agencies are in some way perverted. I don't know what they're thinking. They're upstanding Mormons, most of them. Clearly, Um, clearly. Two-way mirror, sat on the bog, watching prostitutes. There are things... I, I, I,
1: I, I, I just have to say, you know, just because it is part of the research and the history of this, in the same way that there are... Well, in the way that there are negatives in the in the in the cult fighting world there are negatives in this in this in this government world of of what our governments decide to do to us and this is some of the nastiest shit to be blunt that that has ever been pro, you know promulgated upon citizens of a country is is some of this uh MK ultra shit and the and the experiments they were doing and there were hundreds of them and yep, the only, exactly the only on records we've got are the finance records, by the way. They destroyed, like, at, at least as firms of public consumption, it's, there's nothing there. We don't know what the hell those guys were getting up to other than their invoices that they left for us, as I understand it. So it's, it's nasty stuff. Nasty.
0: We, we, do have, we do have survivor accounts. So we know, yes. for example, that the president of the World Federation for Mental Health, um, that august body, um, Ewan Cameron in Canada was actually systematically wiping people's memories by giving them electric shock treatment interspersed with uh, tanking, you know, sensory deprivation tanks. And there is a, an interview you can find of a woman who this was subjected to this, and she said it worked. I, I can't remember anything before the hospital. Um, then they tried to put in new memories and and some control. Um, this this subject has become, people have become so fervent about it, this belief that, you know, there is no such thing as brainwashing. Adam Curtis, who is one of the great documentary makers, and and who's really made, you know, Century of the Self or The Power of Nightmares, just, he's been around for, well, since the 70s, making incredible things. He did this bizarre talk, which was in 2012, it's listed on YouTube as Memory Marathon, where he says that the only damage done to members of new religious movements um, has been by kidnapped deep programmers, and he then accuses Margaret Singer of having in some way been involved with this. And it's like I have respected this guy's research for decades, and look how shallow he is. You know that he's basically taken Scientology's script and trotted it out. Now, I've I've been directly personally involved in the recovery, or whatever word we want to use for it, of about 600 former members. And not one of them was kidnapped. Not one of them was deprogrammed. And yet they were still talking about real and awful damage. Mm -hmm. For example, a woman who was... Uh, shouted at for two weeks to have an abortion when she was on Scientology's rehabilitation project force, and when she adamantly refused, she and another pregnant woman were set to sh- shoveling human excrement out of a cesspit, and kind of going, "All right, so from Adam Curtis's point of view, that's okay—that you know, that's not a, a reprehensible practice." So, seeing how excited people get, I, I um. It was a, an academic in Chicago, an associate professor called Benjamin Zeller, mm-hmm. who wrote a, a piece. He he'd received a flyer uh, promoting Steve Hassan's um, excellent cult of Trump, and he decided to write a paper without reading the book, but based upon the flyer. And one of his statements was, it's been proven there's no such thing as brainwashing. Well, before we go to that, let's quickly have a look at what the word brainwashing means. He mistakenly, and, and it's a common mistake, suggested that a journalist called Edward Hunter, who published a book called Brainwashing, had come up with the term brainwashing. Right. It's not true. He says that um, Hunter was a member of the CIA. That's not true. Hunter was a member of OSS, the precursor to the CIA, up to the end of World War II, and he was an opportunistic journalist. He would later, in an interview with Alan Shefflin who uh, co-authored The Mind Manipulators, one of the first two books, along with Walter Byatt's book, about MKUltra and MK Naomi, the mind-control programs of American, Canadian and British intelligence. Uh, we usually get left out, and this is just the Americans who get all the blame, but it was an international problem. Yes. That, Alan told me, he said, well, Shefflin told me that he came up with the term brainwashing to describe what the Chinese were doing to their people and what was happening to American prisoners of war in North Korea. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, but hang on a minute. He first used the word on the 20th in a publication the Miami Herald News on the 24th of September 1950, which is at the same time that the Incheon offensive is going on in North Korea. There were no American prisoners of war talking to camera at the point where he used the word. So he carried on using it years later in interviews and claiming. Now he wasn't the first to use it in so, English. It was first. Let me,
1: let me stop yeah. you for just a second there on that thought you just had there, because I was connecting it in my mind with the fact that it, during the Korean War, one of the most alarming things that was bringing this to people's attentions were that there were televised interviews or or statements being made by shot down prisoners of war from the United States, oh, other, other Western nations, um, and they were flat out sitting there saying, I'm wrong, America's wrong, this whole thing is wrong, we are completely off the rails, and I make this statement freely of my own free will, and this kind of thing, <laughs> and people were like, what the hell is this? They had no idea why, you know, patriotic American military personnel would disappear and then reappear in this way. And this was the alarming thing. And 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 do I understand it right that this that these statements about when it was being discussed or talked about preceded that?
0: He talked about brainwashing in in that article, and that's before any American POW had made okay. any statement.
1: Okay, it was. Got
0: so it. It was opportunistic on his part. Um, and to be fair, there was an international commission, uh, which the Chinese didn't take part in, uh, that looked into allegations made by the Chinese government that and the North Korean government, that um, biological warfare was being used, which was the main allegation. Mm. That allegation appears to be true. So the, those pilots were talking about dropping cluster bomb units that contained mosquitoes on North Korea it you know and you won't find anybody who is more concerned and distressed about the Chinese and the North Koreans than I am i have nothing positive really to say particularly about the kim dynasty but it's worth bearing in mind that not one north korean town was left standing by 1953 north korea was bombed flat so in in the same process that was tried in vietnam afterwards and it didn't work there either right um hearts and minds and all that so in fact the the term brainwashing was first used in english in january 1950 in the times of india and what had happened was that uh, you know the people's republic of china was declared in october 49 that's a year after india gains independence and so the premier of India, Nehru, sent his brother-in-law on a, a friendly mission to China. And when they came back, they reported how horrified they were by the way the Chinese were behaving, particularly talked about um, the desperation of children in Chinese orphanages. And they came up with this word brainwashing. So nothing to do with Edward Hunter. That's huh. just It's a minor point, but I'm sick and tired of seeing it repeated as if it were a truth. He yes. talked with one guy who had some information about the thought reform camps. And that was the whole source for him. He had did one interview. Wow. Um, and published the book Brainwashing, and it was all sensational. Um, right. To trace it back, the Times of India was actually picking up the Chinese expression. And I think the Chinese have the right, if they wish, to name something. And the term that was used in Chinese is Sinao which means wash brain. Right. And it's a bit deeper than most Westerners see because it's actually a comment about a Confucian idea, which is the cleansing of the heart. Yeah, it has, to do with,
1: it has to do with purity.
0: Yes. Yeah. The, the, and and it, in those terms, um, you know, it, it exists has existed for two and a half thousand years as a concept in China that you can, by giving truthful and good information, you can change the heart, which the Chinese believed to be the organ of thought. Um, we now know, of course, that the gut has almost as much to do with thinking as as the rest of the uh, the True. neurons in us. As we have enough neurons to pretty much make a fist in our guts, and we don't know what it's doing, but we do know that our mood is more dependent on that than what's happening up here. More recently, we found out that serotonin and oxytocin don't do what we've been told authoritatively they do do. We don't know what they do anymore frankly.
1: But wow. Putting that aside. Yes. Topic the, for another day.
0: <laughs> for another day. Uh tune in later and, yes. and we'll tell you all about that. Um they Chinese communists were funded completely and entirely by Stalin. All of their money.
1: And this is where what things get weapons? interesting. This is this is the part where things get start connecting dots to Russia that I don't think a lot of people have really thought very much about. No,
0: it, it's really missed. I mean, at the same time, Stalin was also funding the Kuomintang, the nationalist government. He funded both sides in the civil war, um, going, well, somebody's going to win. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Guess I'll be on the winning side.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then along came the Japanese, which kind of messed things up a little bit. But um, mm-hmm. so, and of course, Mao is not the original leader of of the Chinese communists. He becomes the leader, I think, and it's as late as the 1940s. Mm. Um, He leads one of the armies and he introduced, you know, so his people are are going and training in Russia and they're picking up techniques that appear to have have come from originally Pavlov, Ivan Pavlov.
1: Right, um, the bell conditioning thing.
0: And I, I mean, I all the stuff with the dogs and all of that, you know, uh, I didn't realize that Pavlov had also experimented on humans. And there is film. There is oh, film yes. Of children. Yes. With yes. their saliva being dripped out. Yes. Bigger children. Yes. It, awful stuff. Yes. It was said that he was the only man who could say whatever he wanted to Stalin because Stalin revered him.
1: Now, that's interesting. I wonder if that's true. That's a very interesting statement because he...
0: Oh, uh, it, it's true. It, there are yeah. enough witnesses to it that, okay. that he could go and rage at Stalin and Stalin would just take it all in. Anybody else, you're dead. Right. <laughs> Quite simple. Or right. threatened, you know, I mean, uh, Shostakovich they, they was told he was, he'd was he written um, anti-Bolshevik m- music and would be sent to the Gulag if he did it again. I mean, how you tell whether your music's anti-Bolshevik or not, I, I'm not really sure. Um, if anybody's got any suggestions, put them in the comments. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But anti-Bolshevik sentiment is an invention of Mao. And Stalin gets it from him. Mao at one point killed, executed a quarter of his army based on the fact that they're exhibiting anti-Bolshevik sentiment.
1: Wow. Which is that
0: they, they disagreed with him and his orders. And right. we here start to see some parallels with other authoritarian groups. You yes. know, if you have any critical or hostile thoughts about Elrond Hubbard, then you are for the chop. You know, you you're going to be chucked out, overboarded, put on the rehabilitation project force or what have you. That's right. Now, of course, it's and any, any recidivist thoughts about David Miscavige, any thought that David Miscavige is less than a messianic savior, is uh, to be punished. That's right. Um, it's, it's not really thought-
1: not a matter of degrees of awful. It's a matter of there's this mind. There's this psychosis. There's this like predatory, you know, type of person. I don't. I, I don't mean to draw them out as something non-human because they are all too human, but they, you know, if Elron Hubbard had more power, more influence, more, you know, whatever. He easily could have gone in that direction. He easily could have started enacting his will through death, through violence, through, you know, uh, much worse means than he
0: did. So it's, I I, you know, it's a point that lucky, needs to be very lucky.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a point that needs to be made, you know.
0: And, and that was his intention. He intended to create a country and he intended to rule it. That's right. And I think it was Malawi where they actually tried to buy land to set up a Scientology country what a horrifying thought that is yeah. Um, yeah but so with the Chinese Mao started to put forward a very simple idea which is that you have the, the reason that the people are um, in trouble and, and and things are not harmonious and they're not working properly is because they have a low consciousness and you want to raise them to a higher consciousness and the higher consciousness is the realization that society is divided into the people and the enemies, what we might call suppressive people.
1: Right, sort and, of an ultimate us versus them.
0: Yeah, and it led—I mean, a peak in in the worst year of execution. It is said that that Mao had one and a half million people executed.
1: It's really hard to as in 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 yeah it's just so hard to to, uh, to grok the scale mm. it, it's yeah, so I mean, if, hard you
0: know you think about the uh yeah and, and i mean there's a statement attributed to stalin i'm told he didn't actually say it and it's uh you know the death of one man is a tragedy the death of a million is a statistic and apparently uh, just this last week i can't remember who's meant to have said it, it was a russian and it was the death of one and um the death of a hundred thousand he had slightly lower aims than stalin in terms of genocide um stalin is reckoned to have killed about 11 million um which you know puts him in the big league uh, mao is uh anywhere up to 70 million people died as a consequence here it is of, of don't
1: yeah, that the, the, the uh, no proof Stalin ever said this, but even if he did, he would likely have been quoting a 1932 essay on French humor by the German journalist Kurt Tukolsky. Kurt Tukolsky. Kurt Tukolsky. That's that's a that
0: humorist, line. isn't that a great? Yeah, and to pacifist
1: too. A... By the way.
0: Yeah, S- journalist, oh.
1: satirist, and and pacifist is how he's labeled.
0: Good for him. I like him already. <laughs> but, So basically what Mao got to, and and this, you know, for me, there's an echo here of um, existential therapy, the form devised by Rollo May, who made a a very intelligent critique of Dianetics, the modern science of mental health. Mm -hmm. That's where I first read about him. But Rollo May's system of therapy was to say, look, you've come to see me, I'm a therapist because your worldview isn't working. I will give you my worldview and you'll be fine existential crisis over i see mao you know in that same kind of place and i see hubbard in that same kind of place mm-hmm. That they're advocating that the reason that the world isn't working is because you're not thinking straight there it is so that's right With the higher co- what happened was that in through the the 40s while killing people for their anti-bolshevik sentiment mao was also uh, along with one of his cadre's, developing this program of re-education, uh, which continues to this day, we've seen it in in the Xinjiang camps, mm-hmm. and the idea is that, well, say what what they did in, they, about two hundred thousand people had been through this program before the People's Republic is declared in October forty nine, so it's already being tried out, and what you're in having Russia? is it that. In China, 200,000. Okay,
1: so they've already done a pilot program, so to speak.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. You know, quite a lot of people have been through, and it would take a few weeks. And then they rounded up all of the um, members of the River Lakes societies in China. China's a, a different place to everyone else. The River Lakes are, there are three hierarchies of itinerant people. And in each of the hierarchies, there are three classes and this includes prostitutes, beggars, thieves, con artists, uh, sorcerers, um, itinerant doctors um, and itinerant philosophers. Of course, China has a, a long tradition of people who go around solving problems intellectually, You're know, pretty much like the sophists in, in classical Greece. Um, they're all classed and they're all rounded up starting in in Beijing. So they go to the houses of ill virtue, and the prostitutes are people who are put in one set of camps, and the brothel keepers are enemies. Very few enemies survived the camps they were put into, but they're separated out at that point. So there's two
1: classes of camps? Yeah. Okay, that's important to know about.
0: I I think so, and you've been judged from the start. If you are held to be an enemy, then you are pretty much considered to be beyond reform. So this is like with Scientology, where they'll declare somebody a suppressive person and throw them out, or they'll put them onto a... You know, we're told the rehabilitation project force isn't there anymore. Who knows? Um, well,
1: I tell you, the first thing that comes to my mind is Jews being rounded up to concentration camps as well, because it's the same kind of prejudgment with no absolution possible.
0: Mm. And 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 let's add that all the Romanis were also rounded yeah, up, that's uh, right. blacks were rounded up, uh, communists were rounded up. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, the after the Vancy conference in forty two. They're exterminated. Though, on the way into Eastern Europe, you know, there's there's a horrifying movie about uh, Belorussia called "Come and See," mm. where you find out what happened there that that Jews were packed into barns, which were then set on fire, and there were machine guns placed around in case anybody tried to escape. Jesus, um, terrible, awful things. Jesus,
1: and so basically, we find out China was doing the same damn thing. With its China own had a thing, with its own twist. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, and when you read about, I mean, gradually as the camps, it, you know, it was basically thought that the education program had worked and it, it moved on to that if, when you studied at college, so in, in mid-1950s onwards, you would, part of your education would be to go to the uh struggle meetings where a landlord or a profiteer would be, abused verbally then abused physically and then killed and students were expected to take part not only in in the verbal abuse but also in, in the physical attacks upon these people who would be cut to ribbons it's a
1: twisted kind of genius because it puts people into a frame of mind who've gone through something like that where they can't ever go back No, yeah. they witnessed somebody get killed because of this they participated in it you don't come we're back from that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's I, mean, just, can I, I can't it. think of a better way to solidify a state of mind than with a human death involved that you had your hands involved in. You know, wow. I never heard about that before. That's awful.
0: Yes. I mean, when the Green Berets in the School of the Americas were training uh, contra revolución, uh, Sandinistas, uh, you know, to fight against the Sandinistas, that there's a, a standard... And this is horrifying it's really horrifying to live in a world where this has happened and yeah. not enough has been done about it yeah um but they would say is there anybody in the room who disapproves of torture and somebody would put their hand up and that's a bad mistake because they then torture them oh wow so you're pulled into the process and you become guilty as you say so yeah. um you know we we have obedience trained into us we have groupthink where we agree with what's going on around us and then there are the specific things you can do to somebody that will make them less likely to protest and more likely to comply right. and uh, you know at the moment in in russia if you say that there's there's a war in ukraine that's a criminal offense and you're sent to prison for saying it that, that could make you kind of bite your tongue a little bit, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. We um, talk about group pressure and peer pressure and social pressures. I talk about it a lot, the power of it, the influence of it on us. But, you know, these extreme situations really demonstrate the point. You know, the, you, you're in a room with people with guns and they start talking about things you need to do and comply with and... You just there are no choices anymore. I mean, it's it's intense, and that kind of thing is the sort of stuff that the that the later social pressures are built on. They don't have to do that twice; they yeah. do it once, and it's it, they're done. You know, it's that kind of thing.
0: I, I talked with with somebody today who who was in China for six years, and um, she said that what would happen is that 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 people would have an app on their phone. And it would tell them that pollution levels were low today and she'd say but look out of the window and the chinese person she was talking to was it no no look they're they're down but you can't see through the smog and that's of course what robert j lifton called ideology over experience or doctrine over person that's right i think the you know one of one of the worst things i've ever seen is a documentary called one child nation yes Uh,
1: it was horrifying that one yes
0: and what's it's a it's incredible chinese woman who emigrated had a baby went back to china a few years later and she interviews people the one child policy is is just about lifted at this time it's not so long ago um and you find yeah well once you've had a baby you're told you will now be um your tubes will be tied. You'll have a tubal ligation. And if you refuse, then it will be done forcibly. And mm. women would be um, wrapped in sleeping bags, tied up, taken to the hospital. And the amazing thing in the documentary is that she actually talks to people who've had this done to them. And they say, oh, but it was necessary for the success of China.
1: That's right. And, and the perpetrators as well. Both sides. <laughs> like, nope, it was the right thing to do.
0: And the reality we now know about population growth: that once a population is reasonably well-fed and cared for, the breeding rates go down, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, that you know we now have less than an equal birth rate in much of of the West for that very reason. But uh, you know, you don't want to have fifteen kids; it's just whoa,
1: well, <laughs> too it's, much at this point, as well for the average American, and I'm positive for the average Brit it's just financially untenable you just can't afford it i we can barely afford a dog much less a family of kids i mean I, it's not for lack of desire either you know so mm-hmm. these things are these things feed each other in ways that are really not that hard to connect these dots they're not that far apart really what what's going on in China what we're talking about here between Russia and China and this this evolution of of brainwashing has has spread around the world I mean it's not like America's hands are clean on this or Britain's for that matter and Uh and it's and it's not about guilt I'm just trying to talk about awareness here it's like this is these things cause other things to happen like the Chinese population decline that we are seeing right now—that is affecting every single one of us—because so much manufacturing is done over there. This, they're, they're, you know, this is this is all connected. Just want to make that point.
0: Yeah, and we're going to see India overtake China in terms of population probably in the next year or two. Uh, a country that's profoundly unstable, that's yeah. failed utterly to modernize, um, and is now you know becoming a leading economy where again the the political influence there where you have uh, gurus like Sai Baba was, was an advisor to government this trickster um yeah but we also of course have the Hindu Nazism as, as a real problem in our society where um you know there, there's this overlap where ideas are be, being seeping into the Indian consciousness and leading to fundamentally anti-human beliefs, which mm-hmm. wherever they rise, so the idea that, that Muslims don't deserve to live, which oh, has, right. you know, we've, we've seen a lot of murders in, in India. Yes. of course, we've got terrible problems with gang rape there. Yes, which are not being solved. Yeah, and. So you have to and then, it, that and then in the control. Muslim
1: communities, you have honor killings. I mean, it's you know, it's bad on both ends. It's not that these people deserve to die, I'm just saying, you know, the awful spreads.
0: <laughs> it's just, yeah, and that there, there is a division in all of the religious groups be- between the kind of fervent fundamentalist zealots who you will find in any group. Yep. Um, so in Islam. Uh, You have Salafis, Wahhabis, out of whom came both Al-Qaeda and ISIS. And they make up something like half a percent of the Muslim population. But, I mean, when uh, here, uh, our 7th of July bombing, back in, what was it, 2005 or whenever, that a close friend of mine said to me, Muslims should apologize for having done this. And I, I said, so should Christians apologize for Waco? you know what on earth does it have to do with muslim community that half a dozen nutcases who have been steeped in a perversion of the muslim teaching um because you know suicide bombing definitely is not something that is allowed with within the quran right um,
1: well it's interesting isn't it this this extremist small percentage becoming this oversized influence because of yes. social media and news media you know, bullhorn effect. And mm. and people get really distorted ideas about just how big of a threat it is in the same way that QAnon, this crazy tiny little group of people who have an awful lot of similar beliefs to a lot of the stuff we're talking about, by the way, um, you know, except they've got it all twisted around in their mind that they're the good guys. And so all this killing that they want to do is all good and righteous. Mm -hmm. It's it's really crazy making stuff, but it's a tiny, tiny group of people who have an outsized influence because of the nature of our of our media and the way our brains work, where we're focused more on the threats than we do on the benefits of society and life around us. And so we they you know, it becomes oversized in our own brain. But it's it's I'm not saying and I'm not saying these are not threats. I'm saying that they are very valid threats. But, you know, I'm just trying to talk about proportionality here.
0: Yeah, which I think is really important yeah. if we look at the you know, the influence that Scientology has had on the world. Yeah, That from Bill Clinton onwards, one president after another has had the State Department criticise Germany for refusing to give jobs to Scientologists who are, by the, their profession of religion, spies. They right. will report to Scientology. You're meant to, the responsibilities of leaders, the Simon Bolivar policy. Any Scientologist is expected to have a loyalty first. Now, we can ask questions about the loyalty of people to other you know faith groups as well and we probably should but Scientology is a tiny tiny organization it's never you know David Gaiman started this notion in the 60s of there were five million Scientologists and a friend of mine asked him how did you come up with that number and he said, Well, I'm sure that by now that many people have done auditing. <laughs> yes. And that was it.
1: That's it. That's right. They just made it up. And, yeah. and then it became, every I think year after it that, it was
0: 11 million in one place. Yeah. You know?
1: They had to, every year after, I've seen 20 million. They had to add another million every year. They just arbitrarily yeah. threw another million on the fire.
0: Well, is you know, the fastest mm-hmm. growing religion in the world, you have to grow. Yeah. And, um, yeah. You know, it took me a long time to realize they're actually counting all the little body thetans. That's what it is. And there are probably now, what, about 20,000 members of the International Association of Scientologists, yet Richard Dawkins has called it a major religion. Amazon recognizes it as a religion. And you're sort of going, hmm, it's like a bullfrog, isn't it? It makes a big noise. That's right. Um, That's right. And it, therefore, it's. You know, we see so many people have just backed away because they're frightened of, of what it might, you know, of what it might do to them. And then you go, it's insignificant if we stand up to it. And if we understand that the people involved with it are victims, Yes, they're, they're not perpetrators, Correct. they are the people, they're not the enemy. David Miscavige, on the other hand, I fear to say, is the enemy. Though if he'd like to come around and have a cup of tea and promises not to shout at me... I'd love to meet him. You know, I met his brother, Ronnie. I met his dad, you know, and they were great. They were really wonderful people. So I'm sure even he can be saved, but he doesn't seem to be working very hard at it at the moment. No. Uh, The the aspect of, so re-education camps, the first part is to tell people what the higher consciousness is. And that is, you know, everything is for the people. There's a story where a, a former prostitute won't respond to questions. And eventually her interrogator becomes exasperated and she finally talks. And she said, the reason that I'm a prostitute, the reason that my life is absolutely dreadful is my karma. I deserve it. It's my fate. And that's the lower consciousness. And they're trying to replace that with a consciousness, which says, no, you're the victim of exploitation. So at this point. All we can do is agree with them really that that's right but what they're going to replace this with slavish devotion to a dictator in the name of democratic communism oh a little bit of a contradiction in terms there um it's kind of And and that's that language
1: nonsense see here's the trap here's what they do i've seen this so many goddamn times you're in a bad place you're being abused, you're being traumatized, you've got trauma, you've got financial problems, you've got issues, whatever. You're in a bad place. You know you're in a bad place. You don't feel good. Somebody comes and says to you, hey, man, you're in a bad place. You don't deserve this. This isn't right. And you go, yeah, that's right. And they go, yeah, that's right. And then... And it's going to get worse. Yeah, and then <laughs> here's the problem with with, with 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 predators is they'll say all the right things and then present you a solution that uses all the right language. But the actions, the, the, the method, what they do to you is just enslave you even harder. It's It's crazy yep. making how successful that can be, you know.
0: And has been. Yeah. I mean, the history of humanity is the history of tyranny. If, yeah. If we go back generation by generation, we live in the best times there have ever been. Now, whether our children will have that benefit, we now have to rather doubt. But but we live at the most incredible time in terms of being fed, in terms of having entertainment and um you know, our working hours, our working conditions. If we look back 150 years to the 1870s, we have a situation in this country and in the US where four-year-old children were being sent up chimneys to clean them, down mines to bring things out. There was no such thing as childhood. It's an invention of somewhere around the 1860s, around the time of Alice in Wonderland, where the the children of the 10% who form the middle class will now have this idyllic Childhood. The majority of children will be working from, you know, as soon as they can, as soon as their little hands can do anything. Um, so we live in this great time. Looking back, um, you know, in school, I was, of course, you know, English school, I was taught about all of the great kings and queens. You know, we'd had good Queen Bess, who spent, actually, I later find, more time with her chief torturer than any other official of her court. Not quite as good as I was told when I was a kid, you know. Um uh, she they, she introduced the penalty of execution if you displayed the wrong portrait of her. Wow. Uh, that might be reasonable, you know. Her dad, after all, had wrecked and destroyed most of the country to grab wealth and, and was a horrific monster. Um her brother Edward was as a king founded the school I went to, actually. <laughs> the school I walked out of when I was fourteen. But so you know about 1560 or something he started this school and the same people were still teaching there when i was there <laughs> awful place um but they you know he was a religious fanatic who and they start burning one another and you know oh you're a catholic we're going to burn you oh you're a prostitute we're going to burn you we get witches being persecuted we have lived through generation after generation of horror and the reason we've lived through it is because we've been ruled by tyrants. Yep. Sadistic, monstrous tyrants. That's right. And that continues right through history. You know, if, if we get, I could be nasty about Queen Victoria too, if I felt like it. But well I just wish people would
1: today. I just wish people would understand that all the layers of bureaucracy and the uh, the um, balance of powers, the, the, the division of power that we see in countries like the UK or the US, while not perfect systems, I really wish people would understand that the purpose of those systems is to distribute the power in such a way that no one person can fuck everything up. Mm. And that seems to have been missed Uniformly across the boards in every ideological conversation I see on social media these days. Tear it all down, tear it all down, it's all bad. It's all the systems of oppression that are destroying us. I want to slap these people. Like mm. it's the systems that are keeping you safe from the from the tyranny that one man or one woman will absolutely engage in if given the chance. You just don't understand that these systems are important, you know, and I'm not saying they're perfect. They are flawed beyond belief. They evolve into monstrous things. We see the movie Brazil. Yeah, bureaucracies can get insane. They can become extreme too. So let's not go there, but let's not pretend that these systems have no function or purpose. They protect Mm. us. That's the Mm. whole point. You know, I I just, I got to get on that soapbox every now and again, because it just really riles me up when I see revolutionists, you know, extreme left-wing people, like talking about, tear down the system, you know, because the system is the thing that's wrong. And you're
0: like, "Mm, I wish you'd take a different look at this, you know? Yeah, have a little bit of a a look at at history. You know, Santayana and his, you know, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat the, the, you know what they should have learned exactly. uh, it was above jim jones throne at jonestown <laughs> exactly <laughs> so uh, i i i had a well, few 20 30 years ago uh, 20 years ago i visited a house that was one of the few remaining 14th century knights houses and you'd expect something quite grand it wasn't um mm. but the thing that was really interesting no staircase it was quite a small Stone building in the south of England, which has somehow survived and become this little tiny little museum. And what interested me particularly was that you would get up to the upper floor on a ladder so that the ladder could be pulled up and the trapdoor put down when thieves and brigands came around to steal your stuff. And this is something it goes back to the Viking invasions where you know people learned that, and then the Vikings would set fire to the room below.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not very
0: nice, but realizing that, you know, that there was no police force until, you know, 18th really only properly established in the 19th century. Yep. And while one absolutely, absolutely supports the imprisonment of Derek Chauvin and any investigation into corruption and brutality, we at the moment in our London Metropolitan Police every 10 years about 10% of the force is dismissed because they're corrupt so it's a problem and it's one you know there need to be independent bodies that are dealing with this yep. you cannot trust you know any group or organization not to become a cult if they you know are allowed to make rulings about their own um evil doings yeah you know, right. we had a we had a guy who who invested, a policeman who investigated the shoot to kill policy by the Royal Ulster Constabulary in Ireland. And he was thrown out of the police when he said, yeah, they they are deliberately killing people. Um, It's the famous Gibraltar shooting.
1: Mm. Um, Mm. We certainly have parallels with that here in the US right now.
0: Yeah, and and so while I, I think it's absolutely dreadful that about one unarmed black person a month is killed by a police officer in the United States. I think it's really scary that under surveys, people think that that number is in the thousands, where it's about 10 or 12 a year. That's deplorable. It should not be happening. That's right. But it's exaggerated in the public consciousness. And you then get this idea yeah, that if we just destroy everything Human beings will be fine and virtuous. Well, <laughs> exactly. I don't believe in that. That's exactly. not my experience. We
1: just have to return to the forest or something, you know, or the jungle. It's like, yeah. no, it's madhouse. That's crazy. But it's another demonstration of that outsized influence of, you know, really awful stuff grabs our attention and focuses our attention and keeps it there. And, and it's hard to tear it away. And you start cogitating on the, the size of the problem and it becomes oversized in your mind. And that's where we lose perspective. And if there's anything critical thinking is for, it's for maintaining perspective, Mm. you
0: know? Yeah. Look at evidence and and balance the evidence out. Exactly. I mean, the the next part of the um, Chinese thought reform, once you've told people they're the enemy, you're the victim, you've been exploited. Fair enough. Um, And it's not your fault, if you remember goodwill hunting. It's not your fault. (laughs) Um, And and it was true. (laughs) So the next stage in the original program which was launched um in beijing in early 1950 is self-criticism and that's what led to our you know our conversation because i want you to talk about the truth rundown Yes. and what what happens is that you create a situation where you tell people they can openly criticize others and you make careful notes and they may then yeah, I'd be fine. Say whatever you like. But of course, if you say anything that puts you in the enemy camp, you'll be executed. Oh, a little bit of a slip there. But self-criticism becomes really important. Now, the, yeah, we'll get to struggle sessions, which is the third and last part afterwards. Yeah. You teach people to say, I'm wrong. I'm in the wrong. It is because of my wrong worldview that, that I have come to this place, and I am now transforming my worldview. And this is really pushed forward. Now, self-criticism will always and must always lead to absolute agreement with the thoughts of Chairman Mao, in this case, or That's the right. thoughts of Chairman Ron in, in Scientology. Yep. That it is unthinkable that Ron Hubbard could be wrong even when he contradicts himself on every other page, it's unthinkable that he could be wrong. And so this self-criticism, this idea, you know, uh, Mike Rinder's book, I think is a wonderful example of it. And, and you've talked often enough about it too, that where something fails in the system, Scientological system, where something does not work, you will blame yourself. Yep. If anything good happens to you, you will thank the system you will thank Ron I mean reading Jefferson Hawkins uh, counterfeit dreams wonderful book um he basically got Dianetics modern science of the mental science of Modern health um, <laughs> back on the bestseller list yeah. 40 years after it was written and it's a rubbish book it's a, <laughs> yeah. one of the most atrocious diatribes I've ever read it just I, completely- I really
1: don't know if people get what an unsung Marketing genius, uh, Jeff Hawkins was in, yeah, in making. And I that. wish
0: he'd come and work for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, he explains that he had to push aside everything that Hubbard had taught about marketing because it was nonsense and it didn't work. And he managed to get something that did work. I mean, what they were doing was what sponsoring a car in the NASCAR. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were doing anything the they lap. could. To- <laughs>
1: Anything they could to generate goodwill, and some of it worked and some of it was a total fucking disaster.
0: Yeah, I mean, they managed to scare Hill and Knowlton off. You know, the same year that Hill and Knowlton made up the stories about babies being pitched out of incubators in Kuwait City by Iraqi troops, um, they'd actually, they admitted later, they'd taken the 15-year-old daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador, And she was actually shopping in New York the day that she claimed to have been watching Iraqi soldiers, completely falsified. Baby stories are so good for starting wars. Yep. And yet they were quite willing to do that, but they weren't willing to work for Scientology and Scientology sued them. (laughs) I ended up having a bizarre conversation with this man, Martin Sorrell. And because I'm such an unworldly type, I had no idea that he was one of the most powerful men in the world. And he said, well, what should we do about this Scientology thing with Hill and Knowlton? And I'm like, pay them off, frankly, if you want the trouble. You know, I didn't even charge for the conversation. I am such a fool. You know, I saved them millions. Same with Eli Lilly. I had a 15 minute conversation that said, pay them off.
1: Good advice in terms of yeah. uh, ending the trouble for them.
0: Yeah, not in terms of trouble for me, though. I nah, didn't get paid on either it. occasion. I know. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. So let's just well, yes. in this, terms of, of self criticism, you are in the wrong. That's the right. The first time that I um, learned about the Truth Rundown was in June 2015 in Toronto when you got up at the stage. And I think it was something like your third public appearance.
1: Yeah, I just hadn't I hadn't done a lot oh, at that point. Isn't that but...
0: cute yeah <laughs> and you you were great you're such a natural you really are thank you and you got up on the stage and you told us about the truth rundown and i was i know so much about scientology but i was flabbergasted at this last step mm. of a thought reform program so tell our, uh, yeah, our kind yeah, audience. yeah let's talk about it um
1: you have a you have a uh you know what we're talking about here is is how do you get people to go along with your program well the single best way to do it is to introvert them and get them thinking it's all their fault as we've discussed here. So how do you do that? Well, in Scientology, you have a spectrum. You have a gradual series of steps you can do. It doesn't start with the heavy. It starts with, oh, well, maybe you, maybe you have committed some overts that are causing you to perceive things a little differently than you should be.
0: Because you know when you commit- being ruined because of your transgressions. Exactly. And that's the
1: and not seeing clearly.
0: You're not seeing clearly.
1: That's right. And so we're gonna help you. We're going to assist you to see more clearly by having you sit in a room with a ream of paper and writing down all of your overts and withholds, all of your non Uh, civilized acts, you could say. All the things you've been doing that are bad and wrong and you wouldn't want to confess to in a public forum, right? Those are the things you're going to write down. And we're going to get all the specifics on that, but that's really not very important. What's important is that you take responsibility for the bad things you have done so that you can see things clearly.
0: We will keep the little write-up you did just in case, but it's your own good. We're just going to file this away in this little
1: folder that has your name on it. Don't worry about it it's all good it's in the closet it says confidential on it don't worry about it and so you know i mean let, you... let me
0: interject at this point that <laughs> one of the first people i interviewed after i left in 1983 was an ethics officer from saint hill and he was talking about how they passed these things around among oh, yeah. themselves. oh yeah so whatever sexual transgressions particularly would be and he he's going, and we're being told this is absolutely confidential. You know? Oh yeah, yeah
1: no, really. no, 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 really? no. We we used to. Yeah, I can say I have participated in such activities. Absolutely. Oh, so uh, you've
0: committed overt's of that uh, type? I have.
1: I have. Um, I was not a. I was not a great guy when I was in Scientology. Um, now you are
0: now though, Chris. So you've made up. For
1: it. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> um, Okay. Now we go from that, which most people will very easily agree with, mm-hmm. because people are hyper aware of their of their. Uh, Bad spots, their weaknesses, uh, where they do things wrong, when they have violated their own moral foundations, they're, they're hyper aware of that, right? Because yep. they're judging themselves constantly. And that's part of the process of living. There's nothing unusual about that. You can exaggerate it beyond all bounds and that's bad and, and you know, people should get therapy for that. But it's, it's a perfectly organic process that we review our actions constantly, judge ourselves, try to do better. So it's very easy to get in there on that line on guilt and mm-hmm. and sort of pump that a little bit. And people go, oh yeah, no, I agree with that. I could see that. And as long as they're not defensive, as long as you've got them in a calm place where they're willing to be, they, th- they trust you, they think there's a line here that's going to work, they'll, they'll fall for it. So that goes to the, that goes from OW write-ups, so overt withhold write-ups to security checking. Which is the next grade up from that where, okay, we happen to think that there might be overts and withholds you've committed that are badly affecting your perceptions and abilities and even your OT power, right? This is how you reduce yourself spiritually is you commit bad acts and that's what causes you to pull the flippers in and you're not really as cause and you're not really willing to go look at those areas you've committed overts in you're not really willing to go talk to your mom anymore because of all the overts you've committed against her so we're going to do what's called a security check or a confessional and we're going to use integrity this in processing
0: eater. that's integrity
1: right integrity processing. integrity yeah. processing yes <laughs> that was an older term for it and And we're gonna use an e-meter and now we're gonna use this device to discern the truth and we're going to get you to confess to us even the things you forgot about we're gonna dig them up we're gonna find them and we're
0: gonna get it all out in the open we're only interested in this lifetime in this instance yes we are (laughs) only the stuff that can be used against you because what you did in the other one and a quarter quadrillion years doesn't really matter.
1: Nah, not that important.
0: We can't embarrass you with it, you know?
1: Exactly. So we might we might go back and get that stuff. And actually, actually, here's where that script flips. Mm-hmm. Because that that does flip. And the security checks are done for the present time stuff. And you can go past life, but the reports that get written and reports do get written after these confessional mm-hmm. sessions, detailing the crimes that you have confess to. And this all goes in those files again, right? Don't worry about the files. Confidential. It's all good. No, no need to worry about any of that. And so they tell you, right? And then there's the truth rundown. Now, this is the ultimate in gaslighting, in memory manipulation. Um, this is not just abusive forms of confessional. At the highest I guess you could say, levels of the confession culture, you start rewriting people's memories. Because they have to, um, sorry, I got mildly distracted there. They have to get you to think that all the bad things that they've done to you were all your fault, that karma thing, right? Oh, it's karma, it's my karma. That's why all these bad things are happening to you. Except it's not life, random life circumstances. It's actual authoritarian abuse that's being rained down on you. Like in Scientology, David Miscavige beats the shit out of some guy.
0: And then and they've that got guy, to then go away and find out why they forced him to do that.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's right. You then go into a truth rundown session where you are, and, and we don't have to get into the whole procedure. I already did a whole video breaking all that down. The point is- that part of the process is not just pulling your criminal acts; it's focusing your attention on what is it you're complaining about or having a problem with or finding fault with in the system or, pro- or situation, taking that complaint and saying the reason you have that, the only reason that you are even finding fault with David Miscavige right now for beating the shit out of you is because of your own crimes against David Miscavige, see? Mm. Because the truth is, and this is where reality goes over the cliff, okay? This is truly crazy-making material, is they'll tell you and you will be coerced and sec-checked and pushed and, and manipulated into believing, oh, he never beat up on me. I'm the one who beat up on somebody. Mm. And you will literally rewrite your own memories. I have watched it happen right in front of me. Mm. I not only received a truth rundown where this was done to me, but I have delivered it on two other people when I was on the RPF. And this is a super secret, super confidential action in Scientology. People know way more about the OT levels than they know about the Truth Rundown, and the reason is the Truth Rundown has never leaked. Nobody's ever taken the, the couple issues out of the church, so I had to describe them, and Bruce Hines also did a rundown on it. We're the only ones who have actually ever described what the actual rundown consists of, and it is a step-by-step process of professional-grade, I could say military-grade gaslighting. Hmm. And you don't come out the other side of that truth rundown. You are not allowed to until you, here's the end result that actually written down by L. Ron Hubbard. You're not done until you of your own free will on your own bat with no hint or suggestion from anybody else decide, you know what? I have been such an evil schmuck for so long. I have done all these horrible things to these people that I was complaining about. I I owe them a public apology. I need to write an apology to David Miscavige, the guy who beat the shit out of me, because he never beat the shit out of me. I'm the one who did that to all these people. I'm now taking responsibility for what I have done and apologizing publicly for my gross uh, misperception and complaints and fault finding of David Miscavige. And you have to write this and send it to every single person you complained about or complained to, Hmm. right? I was a liar. I was a scumbag. I had no idea what I was talking about. This is the kind of similar to those televised things from the from the pile from the from, the, from the, the prisoners of war it's it's a total reversal of actual reality but the person who is doing it and believe me i have literally done this i've been in this headspace yeah. it's the exact opposite of reality but yeah. you believe it to your core and i can't tell you how long it takes because it takes a while it's different for each person but it takes a long damn time to come back from that. Yeah. A long time. Because it's it's deep, it's diving deep into the brain, right? When you're rewriting memory and convincing yourself over by like going over it and over it and over it again, which is part of the process. And then having to write of your own accord, you know, confessions and and apologies, it solidifies it it puts it in place with a gold seal. That's what happened as far as you're concerned. Mm. Uh, There's just, I've never seen or heard short of full on waterboarding and the kind of stuff they get up to it. Unfortunately in Guantanamo and other places, short of that, I've never seen anything more effective at rewriting people's memories than a truth rundown.
0: Well, and to be fair, the, the, you know, the, incredible movie the report yeah um, which, which which shows that in fact in Guantanamo bay and it wasn't really waterboarding they were half semi drowning people yeah. waterboarding is a wet towel and, and a technique invented by the spanish inquisition
1: oh was it you believe
0: yep used oh. in the 17th century by the spanish inquisition but they would just put a wet towel over you what was happening at gitmo was they were pouring water through the towel um but it's, as the, as the torture report shows, not one accurate confession was ever achieved not by this method. Not one. Not and one. So it, it's an, an absurd and perverse method, um, yeah. you know, of, of undermining somebody. But in that environment of hostility, you don't actually get transformation. The, you know, as, as Robert J. Lifton shows... Um, in thought reform in modern china that writing your confession that's an essential aspect of the thought reform process that you yes. will keep being asked to sign confessions in in the camps this was particularly so for the intellectuals where you will be admitting things that you didn't do
1: exactly and
0: gradually over a period you know the original internees would spend a few weeks in the program and the program got longer and longer and we've got I think I think it was somebody who was five years in, mm. in, in this program. Wow. And, you know, one of the reasons that brainwashing is dismissed by some academics who've not studied it thoroughly enough is because, well, you know, Lyfton interviewed 25 people and 24 of them didn't believe in any of the re-education anymore, so therefore it doesn't work. And well, that's one where them... they
1: lose the plot 100% of the time. I'm glad you're bringing this up.
0: Yeah. Because the reality is that if you take the person out of the reinforcing environment, the milieu, and as we saw with One Child Nation, the Chinese people believe. You know, at the moment, and it's almost impossible to believe, um, but Russians, most Russians believe that Vladimir Zelensky is a Nazi as well as a Jew. We've, We've have stories of Russian soldiers torturing people. In Ukraine, to to find out, you know, where the uh, the Nazis are, and they, they kind of go, they're odd to What are you? You're the Nazis. What are you doing?
1: That's right. I mean, and, um, because you set up a situation where it becomes impossible to to agree with reality and answer the questions. Yeah, and so you have to reform your memories. I mean, if you're stuck in a room where somebody's not going to let you out until you say what they want you to say, which is basically what we're talking about here you're going to comply because you want to get the hell out of that room. And if they're they're a barrier that you can't get past, you have to cooperate. And if you
0: don't show show the right emotional response, you're just going to, you know, in the camps, um, those who are just about to be released had one task, which was the third aspect of the program, which is the thought struggle where, so somebody new comes in and there are seven or eight people in the cell they're in and those people will then scream abuse at the new person and when that person has gone through the first stage of breakdown and signed their first confession the other people in the room can go home you know you won't be let out until you've participated and what we were saying about collaboration before yeah you create a whole society you know one of the things, one of the most horrifying things, it said that Voltaire was the first person to publicly complain that torture was being used as part of the judicial process. And it is very easy for those who want to tear down the system to believe that everything will be lovely if we do that. Yep. But if you look back at the judicial process over centuries in Europe, then hanging, drawing, and quartering was a usual way of punishing a criminal. So they would be paraded out and you, here's a piece of advice if you want to travel back in time and get arrested as a criminal make sure your execution is midwinter because you'll be dragged out at dawn and at that point you'll be hanged not until you're dead but until you're very upset right <laughs> publicly then you will be drawn your entrails mm. will be pulled out of you and burned in front of you you will still be alive at this point this is part of justice in the European system and it you know similar things have happened in Asia and Africa in Australia well, wherever you go yeah let viciousness me just, has occurred
1: <laughs> if I might but also if I might just the idea this. was
0: to stretch this out through the whole day so that's why I'm saying you know if you do travel through a, a you know a wormhole in in time yeah but this was normal and so the idea of public execution, the idea of watching people—people people would, you know, they'd be selling hot potatoes. And oh
1: yeah, this was entertainment for and, people.
0: Yeah, we now have YouTube, so we don't have to do this anymore. That's right. We can instead watch people driving Lamborghinis into swimming pools. And well, let's not pretend, by the way,
1: that, that let's not pretend, by the way, that civilization has changed all of this because it was only about up until, well, a hundred years ago. In 1923, if you had been taken in by the cops anywhere in the United States, they were within their rights to beat a confession out of you.
0: The third degree.
1: That's right. That was. It was a thing. It was not a joke. It was a thing. And that's what they would do to you because they knew you were guilty and they just wanted you to
0: confess. Yeah. And that was how I mean- policing
1: was done until about 100 years ago.
0: Well, and and the revision of the uh, criminal justice bill in this country, I think in 1988, Mm -hmm. um, basically meant that all police interviews now have to be recorded. Right. And if you go back to the the Guildford Four, the Birmingham Six, people who were sent to prison in the name of the father with Daniel Day-Lewis is is a remarkably accurate uh, account of these poor people who went to prison because they confessed. And when you find out how they were brutalized by British police officers, and we're talking the 1970s here, yep. it, it's unbelievable. It's like, but you confessed. And yeah, the only other evidence against them was that there was gunpowder residue on their hands. And it was later found out that playing cards that they'd been using contained a chemical that you've got a false positive on that test for. So this, it, we're not through it yet. We yep. are a lot closer. When um, the British police introduced body cams, um, complaints against the police dropped by nine, more than ninety percent.
1: Yep, same here in the U.S. So I believe
0: we have to monitor. We have to be careful. That's right. But yeah, to think that everybody will be nice to each other, it, we need laws and and we need systems that look at corruption. I I personally would like to see something done about plutocracy as well. The idea that you can buy a politician yes by giving money to their campaign fund that really bothers me um me too. so me too. within the there's this kind of overlap that the more i look at what hubbard did and the more i look at what the chinese communists were doing the more i see is similar yeah. and whether it's similar because hubbard studied these things and i think he probably did I think the Rehabilitation Project Force, I think he probably read Lifton either when he was in Queens at the end of 72, beginning of 73, Mm. or a little bit afterwards. And I think that he designed a program deliberately. It may well be that he just read Edward Hunter's Brainwashing, because that's more the kind of research that Hubbard did. You know, he'd pick up the Reader's Digest and find out some wisdom about penicillin from it that he could then share with us.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I'd be surprised if he could make it through Lifton.
0: Yeah, it's, it's I mean, the other thing is that he, when uh, the Phoenix Lectures was was made, there's a story about a Scientologist who died and left this uh, collection of mystical literature, and the Hubbard asked somebody to go and look through this stuff and see if any of it was useful, and they reported back to him, and he was then able to make a few little comments in his lectures. Um, that made it sound as if he'd read, you know, the Hymn to the Dawn Child or the Rig Veda, or That's what right. he calls the Tao de Qing, <laughs> King, K I N G, which is, of course, Alistair Crowley's misspelling of Jing um, and uh, quite unusual. But it, yeah, it, it's mysticism light. It's, you know, he was not a, he, he had such a bad, uh, such a short attention span. And, and this is something that people really don't get about this man. He wrote one book. Dianetics, the mental science of modern health. Um, every other book, and I think there were twenty seven. Yep. If I count, every other book was a compilation written by somebody else. He didn't you know, he, he wrote Battle or dictated. Earth, was, well, he, not dictated, even directly, he, dictated he dictated quite
1: a few books. I mean, there was problems of work, Dynetics fifty five, science of survival.
0: They're compilations. Uh, science of yeah, the, the did dict- You see, they're compilations in that he did not say, this is the beginning of the book, go through this. When Richard DeMille put together those little green discs for um, Science of Survival, he had to organize the material and put it together.
1: Okay, fair enough, fair enough.
0: When we look at, say, fundamentals of thought and problems of work, there are pieces in there that had previously been published. Yes, And we then find, if we go back, say, to the professional auditor's bulletins of the 1950s, that the names of the authors have been taken off them. Yep. For, so, for example, one of the significant authors of Scientology material was Paul Twitchell, the founder of Eckenkar, which is a, a fairy story, quite literally, um, about all the little elves in our gardens and stuff. Twitchell wrote Hubbard material. Elrond Hubbard Jr. Had the junior taken off the upper indoctrination yep. training routines and various other things.
1: That's right. Hubbard and Mary Sue EA. wrote a bunch of policies too, by the way, as yeah. did other aides and and staff of Hubbard, but they were all given l Ron Hubbard uh signatories.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And for sure. so for sure. w- we have a situation where it's and I think that's because his attention span was so short. The mm. the only other professional writer I know of, and I'm Sure, in the comments, people can add others. But the only one I know of is Ryder Haggard, who never made a second draft. Hubbard. Yeah, he was was so bored with what he'd already said. Yeah, (laughs) no, that's true. I think
1: I I noticed that. And I think I I get what you're saying, and I think you're right with that. I would say that Hubbard was um rather what's the word? Uh bipolar. Um, in that he would he had their stories, right? Of when he was a professional writer, and he was a professional writer. Um, that he would stay up all night, just bang them out, get three stories done or something, bang them all out, and then you'd see him in a malaise for days hmm. where he wouldn't really do much, and then he would have this hyper frenetic short burst period of time where he would get a lot of work done. I think, I, I, I think that's what he brought into his methods of uh, you know, how he worked as, a sci- as, a, as the Scientology guy, too.
0: Yeah, and he harnessed the people around him. So yeah. you have the January nineteen forty nine letter from Savannah, Georgia to uh, his agent Foy Ackerman, mm-hmm. and Forey shared all of his letters with me long ago. Bless him. And a real um, treasure trove in it. He, yeah, uh, yeah, um, his letters and and the Helen O'Brien's collection of letters, who ran the, the uh, Philadelphia Doctorate Course. Remarkable mm-hmm. what you find in that but in that letter the one where he says you can rape women without yeah. them knowing about it that you know all of all of this money can be made um we we find him saying that sarah is writing the stories so the stories that will be published under one of his pseudonyms are actually being written by his second and bigamous wife
1: oh i so have to look at would... that again i missed that part <laughs> wow yeah. wow this guy
0: yeah and I I think, you know, he's a... Yeah, I think you've got to say about Runner, but it it is black or white. It's, you know, he is either the savior of humanity or he was a very naughty boy. (laughs)
1: I'll I'll go with the latter. (laughs) Yeah. And what I know about the guy.
0: And as you look at it, he is refining and developing ways of... um, imprisoning people of yeah. enslaving people that's and he's right. you know he gets worse and worse with time the more power he has the more corrupt he becomes you know, the things he starts to do in 68 on on the ship th- there's no precedent for them that's right you know the people who were around him in the mid-60s like john mcmaster who and otto rose and hannah whitfield and so many people i've talked with over the years at, at some length You know, he was not that evil tyrant until he got his own ship and his own little group of his own little flotilla. Mm. And then he starts doing the most dreadful things to people. Then you have the period, say, at um, La Quinta, 1977, where he's, whatever happened, he spent all of that time and effort, all of that money, making the tech films. Where are they? Yeah, why did they all disappear i mean the one i remember and the only one i can remember seeing was one with david mayo in who oh really was that was awful. the only
1: one you ever saw
0: yeah they, they really didn't travel well, oh. see i was way up the bridge by then i wasn't going to watch this beginning level stuff well know? right plus um, you
1: didn't do auditor training right
0: i did do auditor training you did yeah. i did six six yeah i've heard this so often about myself that yeah i did the uh the HQS, the Dianetics course, the Method 1 course, the Class 0 course, the Class 1 course, and the Class 2 course.
1: Okay, apart so, from that, on, so on Class 0, what one the Romans two, ever done for us? there should have been some films. But it, what, what, when, what year did you do them?
0: Oh, it, it's before the films were, re- oh, were okay, released. Oh, okay, got it. So after you never got, got to being see them. Released. Okay, so, okay, okay, okay. Sorry, um, just clarifying. But, but the one I did see had a very awkward David Mayo, who quite evidently wasn't much of an actor, yeah. in a kind of sharp 1950s suit with a trilby on and the the line i remember because of course at this time he was touted to be he was the heir he was going to take over from hubbard we all knew that in 1978 or whenever and there's this this strange little line at the end of it where he says now of course if this film gets lost you'll know what happened (laughs) ha (laughs) we've been taken over and that (laughs) that kind of stuck in my mind when story of a squirrel came out in 82 attacking him um but yeah we we have here you know our our friend christian Cherko, um when he was asked a few years ago what what book he gives to to people who are thinking about leaving a group or have just left a group and he's dealt with Somewhere over three thousand people over the years. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he has any rival in in terms of numbers. Incredible man! Mm-hmm. But to my amazement, he said that he gave them my Scientology cult of greed. I'm like, well, people coming out of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Twelve Tribes or Nichiren, you give them all this book. Why do you do that? He said, oh, well, Scientology does everything, and anybody who's been in an authoritarian extreme authoritarian sect, will recognise some aspect of what happened to them in Scientology. And it's still that way. I mean, um, I I don't know. I've now studied... I don't know how many groups I've studied. Hundreds by now. Mm -hmm. um, You know, from the Eleusinian mysteries in ancient Greece, right on on through. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know of any other group that has such a complete systematic way of pulling a person apart and rebuilding them i as we said at the beginning i don't believe you can make a manchurian candidate Mm -hmm. but you can most certainly create a situation where an individual is completely dependent that's it upon these ideas, and you have that fundamental contradiction. Hubbard is all the time telling us it's a two-terminal universe. You know, you've got the negative and the positive, the cathode and, and the anode. Everything's like this. Well, I don't think it is, personally. I think there's there's rather more to it. There's the weak nucleic force, there's the strong nucleic force, and there's also gravity. So there isn't just, you know, the electromagnetic force, which is all he focuses on. But he then sets about using that to program people. That's right. At,
1: That's right. You know
0: the plus and minus. The the you know you are with us or you're against us. There is no spectrum. There is black. There is white. And everything is binary. Well, I mean, I'm not making this as a personal declaration or a sexual declaration, but I'm non-binary. <laughs> this idea. I had a friend of mine the other week said to me that he was woke because if you're not woke, you're fascist. What? Like, what? How does that work? You know, that, so I'm not allowed to have my own ideas. Now, with Scientology, the foundational criticism, and, and it, it's got to be said, you are becoming self-determined. That's the whole idea of Scientology. You are becoming completely yourself. And when you are completely yourself, you'll agree with Ron Hubbard 100%.
1: That's it. Because Hubbard sets himself up as the sole thing that is kind of... Outside of that whole binary because he's source. And by being source, he's always present and always necessary. And that's a trick that every cult leader will pull in some fashion is they are indispensable to you. You you cannot do without them, no matter how free or OT or powerful or spiritual or enlightened you become, that guru is always necessary in your life.
0: Yeah, so what's happening is dependency is being created. Exactly. To to give Freud credit for one thing, when he talked about the Dianetic method before the First World War, I think in the year that Hubbard was born, so Hubbard can't even claim that it was in a past life that he came up with this, (laughs) but he talks about the method developed by Yusuf Breuer and used on Anna the first victim of analysis, and He describes the Dianetic method. You've got charge, you've got chains, you've got repeater technique to get somebody in. There is no doubt. And because Hubbard is saying, you know, when I was 12, I became an expert on Freudian ideas. You're going, well, this could be a little bit of an admission here. But he then says, the reason that I dropped this method is it does not resolve the transference. The foundational idea of analysis that our emotional attachment to others is developed in infancy and we transfer from one you know from a parent who are attached to so you have the the positive and the negative and the you know you want to castrate your dad and if you're a bloke and have sex with your mum. i think freud was what's that expression that um robert de niro when when it's being explained to him in the movie uh that freud was one sick fuck <laughs> yeah. Something like, that. Right. Um, <laughs> but you should basically grow up you should learn how to have real relationships that are not based upon this infantile perception of the world Time. which is called resolving the transference the problem and it is a huge problem that freud points to is that what would later be called dianetics makes dependency more it makes nice. you ever more dependent upon the source. Now, to wind back to Josef Breuer, who designed this method, and Anna von O. Anna von O. ended up in an asylum, um, a rehab, to get off the morphine that had been prescribed to her by Josef Breuer. He signed the the intake form for her. It's something that still exists. Anna Fonno did not feel that she tremendously benefited from Dianetics. You know, she didn't go clear.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, let's just say the least.
0: So so we we get to a point where Hubbard is using, it's a systematic form. Now, whether we call it brainwashing, and, and as I said at the beginning, I, I think if the Chinese want to call it brainwashing, they can. And you know, maybe we should be a bit more cautious. So when academics say, oh it's brainwashing's been disproven. I would like first a definition of brainwashing. And secondly, some something that tells me why they believe that undue influence, which has been accepted in law for hundreds of years. I mean, the the case I cite in Opening Our Minds, the book Opening Our Minds, is um Francis Lord Bacon ruling on a case at the beginning of the 17th century in about 1612 mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And so it's absolutely recognized that you can get somebody to do something that's against their own better interests. That's right. There is no no real doubt of that. Well, they've got in this country if I might. Yeah, you might.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they they've they've gotten away with two things, the academics on this, uh in modern times, right, which is one, uh creating this uh, this Manchurian candidate. I guess Hollywood contributed. Cool, man. to man! This.
0: Yeah, this, yeah, this this. He non- a Chinese expression. <laughs> yeah,
1: this nonsensical idea that it's permanent. That's the first thing. Is yes. this idea that it's permanent, and if it's not, then it doesn't exist. Hmm. That's the first logical fallacy that they throw out at you. Is they yeah. is they they throw out this weird other definition of it, and the other one is they ho- and then and then. If you throw that at them, they just ignore it. They just, it's just ignorance. It's literally like ignoring facts.
0: Benjamin Zeller has made no response to my critique of his work. Nothing. The journal that that published it refused to publish my response to it because they hadn't commissioned it. And when Professor Stephen Kent went to them and said, look, you know, this is good academic work. And it's, it, isn't this how academia is meant to be, yep. that somebody says something and somebody else criticizes it and we keep on moving? It's like, no, we're not going to do it. So, mm. you know, it, I hope Benjamin Zeller is watching this or somebody who knows him. I would love to talk to him and have him explain to me what on earth he meant. Exactly. By, you know, these strange inventions in his paper.
1: Exactly, because they have to twist the facts because the the empirical evidence, and we see this even as recently, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll to refer to this is even that stolen youth documentary on Hulu, the, the Larry Ray, yeah, same drill. You know, it's the same drill. You literally can see it on video, and yeah. I don't know what kind of mental gyration somebody has to go through to look at somebody who's having a psychotic episode at the initiation of the cult leader, Larry Ray, doing this to these college students, clearly right there on video, and they and they have to somehow twist this around to be, oh, no, no, that's not brainwashing. That's something else entirely. we It's not even that bad. And look, they're fine now. And it's like, yeah, thank God they're fine now because they got out from under the influence of this evil person who was quite literally purposefully driving them crazy. Right. That's that is a possible real reality for any of us is that somebody could do that to us. Hmm. And for academics to just wholesale dismiss this arbitrarily is, well, I just know it's not that way. Screw you. You don't know anything. It's very clear. The fact I've lived it, you know, you to a degree have lived it. We see this, we know this, we've experienced it, and now we understand it to a degree where we can break it down for other people and go, no, this is exactly how it works. And any human being is susceptible to it. And it only serves, and this is the part that gets a little tragic about this whole thing, is it only serves the cult leaders for the academics to say it's a fantasy. It only helps the bad guys. And that's where I think yeah. the academics either are bad guys or they just are so stupid that they don't think about the consequences of what they're saying. And I'm, I'm, I am harsh on this because I've lived it. And yeah. it's, it's a very, very real thing. It's not, though, a permanent thing if you can get a person out of the environment. And that's crucial to recovery from this and, and healing from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A reinforcing environment. And the danger of Scientology, the, the most significant danger, I think, is it's self-reinforcing. Yeah. So right. as people come away from it, um, I'm, I'm told that somebody who calls himself Clearwater Chad uh, commented <laughs> on my channel the other day. And me too. He Spike, came around to me too. <laughs> Spike, Spike just pulled the comment, so I wasn't able to respond to it because he's like, if you want the truth about Scientology, and it's like, Oh dear. Let's get into what truth is and what evidence is. And, you know, we get to some pretty strange places. I, I did a piece on Holocaust denial with my friend, Ed Stratton, and Ed listed 23 texts, all of them on the Holocaust, not his reading on the Nazis in general, but all of them, including the three volume estimation, which goes district by district through Europe and shows how many deaths there were and it does add up to six million Mm -hmm. that's not in the camps that's the overall number but it is so careful this analysis so you get somebody who does that kind of work they've looked at the census in every country they've looked at how many jews are gone from that picture they've gone through all of this and then you get some guy who who comes on and they've they've seen a little show on youtube and they now know the truth so that i fear that we have academics who have been oh let me say this brainwashed (laughs) we have academics who've been disinformed and misinformed you know seeing gordon melton's pathetic work on scientology and um our mutual friend james beverly professor james beverly tells me that, that gordon is is really good factually on on certain groups and he and i have written a couple of books together, but I must say, all I've read is, is what he said about Scientology and what he said about Ramtha, and th- it's preposterous hyperbole. It's nonsense. And let's not forget, could... this
1: is the same guy who went over to Japan for pimp for Amish um, and on the on the on the the uh, day before <laughs> all the evidence came out that they had put sarin gas into the metro system there. And he was saying it's impossible that
0: that could have ever yeah. happened. Yeah, Same guy. Yeah. And we then find that um, Osahara had enough sarin gas to kill 4 million people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and again, you know, as, a, as a, a student of religious belief or of faith, isn't it fascinating that, that their motivation was what, there's, what is called power? within the Buddhist system. And this is something, you know, people have this airy-fairy notion of Buddhism, Mm. Um, but, you know, the Ahingya in Myanmar don't have such a positive view. The Tamils in Sri Lanka don't have such a positive view. And all of the Zen sects have apologized now for training the Japanese military to not have any compassion. Mm. And yet we are being told that mindfulness alone will lead to compassion. Mm. So we, we have these things, but this idea that um, power is the idea that, and, and it makes sense, people are stuck here because of their bad karma, so let's give them their bad karma. So, you know, and I don't think he'd really worked it out because all he wanted to do was kill all the Japanese people so their, their karma would be gone and they could be reborn afresh surely the thing to do is to torture them for as long as you possibly can
1: let's really get that karma to the positive side yeah
0: yeah and how on earth (laughs) anybody thinks that mao stalin hitler could have got to the position they got to if there's any such thing as karma i mean sooner or later something was gonna have to stop them and it should have stopped them a hell of a lot sooner than the 11 million that uh stalin's responsible for the 50 million that Hitler's responsible for, or the seventy million that That's Mao right. is responsible for, it didn't. Um, but we buy into simplistic notions, and they then become. This this is the core thing: the the feeling of knowing. Yeah, which William James pointed out, noesis, the idea of certainty. I know this is true because yes. it feels right to me. Yeah, which gives us QAnon and, you know. The anti vaxxing movement and and so much else, you know. So, when yeah. um, and there are so many examples in history where you know Semmelweis, the the man who introduces the idea of washing your hands before giving uh, helping babies to be born, and is ba- basically single-handedly responsible for stopping childbed fever, he went crazy because of the criticism he received from other doctors. So you go well. This learned profession said, huh, "Wash our hands after we've performed an autopsy." Don't be ridiculous.
1: Right, right. People can be amazing at all ends of the spectrum, <laughs> from <laughs> from genius to moron, and it's and uh, and everything in between. And I keep going back to those emotional needs because they're you know they're kind of the thing that drives all of this. We well, like to think right we're intellectual creatures, but we're not.
0: We're not. Yeah, it was no. Jill Bolt Taylor, the neuroscientist, uh, who who said words to the effect of, you know, we, we believe that we are thinking creatures that feel, but we're actually feeling creatures that think. Bingo. And that's where I if come you try to. and That's right. If you try and separate thought and feeling in your head, well good luck. Exactly. You know, subjective is is where we live. Exactly. And that's, we,
1: and, and, I, and and this is important to stress because you gotta understand out there that when we're talking about brainwashing, we're talking about thought reform and mind control techniques and all that, we're talking about emotional manipulation way more than we're talking about rational manipulation the rational manipulation comes in the data the courses the information the the you know you got overts and that's because if you're you know that's why your perceptions are bad I mean they'll feed you data but it's the emotional manipulation that seals the deal and keeps you locked in and yeah. that and I just can't get past that enough. you know I can't say that enough you know
0: it's really important mm. And that takes us to the notion of the weaponized empath, the idea that that you can take somebody who is thoroughly um, pro-social, you know, somebody who really cares about other people, not just somebody who kind of comes and goes, but somebody who's actually invested their life into doing good for others, and take such a person and turn them round by convincing them, for instance, that um jews are all infested with lice which carry disease
1: yep that's right
0: um and actually should be treated as vermin that's right basis for any genocide they're not human they're non-human as soon as we get antisocial ideas and let's face it scientology is absolutely packed with antisocial ideas then we'll have something dangerous if you can then get an empath then the the smarter they are I've, I've used this expression many times. We use our intelligence to buttress our stupidity.
1: I like that. I love that expression.
0: <laughs> and, you know, if, so if you want to hear stupid, then, yeah, go and look at Isaac Newton, who's come up once in this conversation. <laughs> Newton is one of the greatest minds in all history. Um, his work on gravity, his work on optics, it it changed the world. It, it changed Literally. how we do things. That's right. However, he spent much more time... <laughs> doing alchemy and trying to find out from the Bible, which he believed was encoded, um, the dimensions of Solomon's temple, because which would be encoded. If you could find that out, then you'd know the, the dimensions of the universe, he believed. So he did most of his scientific work by the time he was about 25, and then went progressively mad because as an alchemist, he was imbibing mercury. And so, Oh, that's the part I didn't know it's not good for you apparently
1: no it's not i that makes that whole story make a lot more sense to me though because i could never reconcile how off the rails he went or why and Mm -hmm. so that that helps me understand that
0: yeah and he was a tremendously vindictive man i mean Mm -hmm. he um it's said that his uh, statement about seeing further because he stood on the shoulders of giants was an allusion to robert Hooke, who was a very small man and who should be viewed with the same ore, definitely, of the micrographia. Incredible scientist. He had hooks, when he was president of the Royal Society, he had Hook's portrait burned. Yes, major <laughs> rivalry
1: with, there, major problems, yeah.
0: And because you know, of the calculus, because his fluxions, which he would not share with anyone, were um, given out by Leibniz, there was an investigation the Royal Society sponsored into Leibniz to see how he'd stolen the fluxions and released them as a calculus. And it determined that he had stolen them from Newton. It was only, I think in the 1990s, when records were open, they found there was a one-man committee, Isaac Newton, who had done this investigation. Uh-huh. That's how, so it, exactly what you say, it, We we have to, we have to be seen as emotional as well as rational creatures. Yeah. And at the point where we become attached to a dangerous person or a dangerous idea, we become dangerous. We exactly. become harmful to others. So anything that's dehumanizing, anything that's antisocial, anything that harms other people, is a bad thing, from from my perspective. And yeah. and Scientology, doubly so. <laughs> you know, exactly. It's an awful
1: thing. Exactly. Couldn't put it better. It's you know it, it's it's just a a fact of life that we are susceptible to these things. That we need to be. No. Cautious, sometimes mindful, if you will, (laughs) of the fact that predators are real, they exist, they're out there and their job, their entire mission in life is taking advantage of people, and sometimes such people get into positions of power where they can control not just a couple of people, they can control a lot of people. And the mm-hmm. most effective way of doing that is figured out already through Bernays' work, through the Chinese and the Russians, and through what we've documented, through what Lifton documented, you know, we've broken this stuff no down. Pavlov. Pavlov, that's right, oh my God, what a monster that man was, because I've seen those films with the kids, and it was revolting. <laughs> Um, Pavlov was a monster um, so you know you have people in history who have figured this stuff out and documented it this has been th- this stuff has been known about in one form or another all over the world for millennia but we're documenting it we're talking about it we're breaking it down so because the because there are things you can do to spot it safeguard against it prevent it hmm. if you know about it, And if I've got any mission, and I think John, too, in educating and talking about this stuff, I love talking to John, and I love having these long talks with him. But the point is, notice this stuff out there. Do something about it. You can, and you need to, because this stuff isn't going to stop. The predators aren't going to stop being born, and they're not going to stop preying on us. So we're the ones who have to have the responsibility for ourselves and leading our lives to know that they're out there and they do this stuff. And they do it at the government level, they do it at the city, state level, and they do it in our personal lives, at the church level, at the job level, at the family level. The only protection is knowing about it and then goosing yourself to do something about it, even though it feels like it's a little weird in the moment. It might be a little weird but it's going to save you about 10 years of, of hell. So it's worth taking the time, you know.
0: It's for sure and and living in a society where you know the contradictions run so rife that that we know about consu- conspicuous consumption. We know that we are driven to buy rubbish that is, you know, just the the amount of plastic in the ocean, the amount of plastic You know, we have, the the human race has done these awful things and justified it. You know, we're now seeing more and more documents coming out from the oil companies showing that in the 1970s, they had very good predictions about climate change. They knew this was going to happen and they then buried it. And they're now, of course, fighting various court cases in the US trying to defend themselves. The fact that the PR firms that supported big tobacco as that battle was being finally lost they were then hired by the oil companies you know um there's an amazing memo from the 1950s it's from what is now called exxon uh Mm so um i think Mm -hmm. standard oil we start Mm -hmm. off with so um and in the early 50s they had a secret meeting with one of their pr people and he said um This is from Stuart Ewan's book on PR, excellent book, professor writing about PR. They had this meeting where the PR experts said, we have to be viewed as a religion. Consumer products have to move into the realm of faith. And that was the beginning of an incredible, you know, you then see interviews. One of the ones that startled me was uh, Pepsi-Cola. Uh that this guy was being interviewed and he said, yo, yeah, well, I look at the can and I see the red, white, and blue, and it makes me feel patriotic. Right. And you get how this stuff is going on. So you have the industry of consumption, and I do mean that in both senses of the word consumption, trying to keep us in this adolescent state. Yeah. Promising us, you know, that, that the Garden of Eden is—you know—all you've got to do is watch this movie or or do this. All of this complete trashy hype that that we're subjected to—it's coming through that. And first of all, going, this is really unsatisfying, and it's making me ill. <laughs> you know, the the rubbish food, the ultra processed food, chicken nuggets and things <laughs> that are—they're basically factory made. That's right. It's a bit of it's a bit of meat that might be a year old by now. That's been had xanthan gum put in it what have you so we are literally being poisoned you know and we're also psychologically being poisoned and the way out of that is basically to say actually you can have a good life as a human being but not by being enslaved not by having your mind made up for you that's right by thinking by participating and by by growing up you know, by realizing that adulthood's actually a really good thing. Whereas being a child and being dependent on stupid ideas and crazy products, you know, and narcissism that swims around in that, it, it's just not not useful for us. And Scientology is it infantilizes people. You know, you have things like the key to life, where where you're just being reduced all the time as if you're a complete idiot. I would love it to have had that conversation with Ron Hubbard. I would love to have sat with him in his prison cell and and got the story out of him of, you know, as we know, when Charlie Nairn, just before he filmed The Shrinking World of L. Ron Hubbard, which I still believe is the greatest single document about Scientology yeah. um, in existence, he, he says, he said to Hubbard, you know, it's a scam, isn't it? And Hubbard went, yeah, obviously, you know, <laughs> anyone can see that. And it, why do you do it? Uh, Well, it's nice to give my wife $10,000 a day in 1968. Yeah, yeah. But mainly, I like to catch the clever ones and reel them in. That's the one. That little 10-year-old boy who's so upset that the other kids are calling him fat and spotty and a ginge, who's going to get his own back on the rest of us. And that's what Scientology is. That's right. It's the revenge of an inadequate... And desperate man who suffered from temporal lobe epilepsy, manic depression, paranoia, attention deficit disorder—you name it—he'd got all of this stuff going on. And if you want to, you know, actually be like him, do Scientology. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the white you know, tape root. <laughs> We've we've talked
1: about that quote before, and here's something I'll contribute to it that I've not said before. Mm. I used to look forward to the clever ones when I was in Scientology. Well, me too.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, recruiting yeah. people who were opposed to Scientology and clever.
1: Oh, I couldn't that wait to take good. them down. And I actually was pretty good at it. And mm. it's weird how I had never heard that quote from Hubbard, didn't know he said that, had no clue he had, it. and in fact, if I had learned that, I probably would have thought it was a clever line as a Scientologist, actually, because my thinking had already gone so parallel with Hubbard's, you see. And so that's kind of the point I'm making here is even unconsciously, you know, you don't have to get told every little thing you're going to think. It doesn't even have to work that way. You know, in terms of here, we're talking about brainwashing. Let's not forget the victim is contributing to the process. They have to or it doesn't work. They have their imagination, their, well, hypnotism guided imagination, right? They have to contribute to it or it doesn't work. And that's why we think if we can educate, (laughs) maybe we can, that is enough that you could resist enough that you're not contributing to the problem. And that's kind of really the anatomy of it, as awful as that sounds. And it's not a matter of trying to blame everybody. I'm just... State a fact, you know, it takes two to have a fight. It takes two to get brainwashed. It That's how it works, you know. You don't have to cooperate with it. You don't have to be a victim of it. But you got to really understand it if you're going to really stand up to it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, think. absolutely. I mean, I, I was asked to go over the rainbow and join Aaron Hubbard's personal staff uh, and actually play drums on... Um, the road to freedom right. i'm so glad i didn't <laughs> Me too. Um, but i you know initially i said yeah i'll i'll come for a year and do that and of course you know the, the comeback on that was no you have to add some zeros to that That's right. it's a billion years and i just said no i'm not doing it and later when i read um adele hartwell ernie hartwell talking about la quinta and the horrific conditions i had to stop and go you know i'm not sure that I-, I would have resisted that i would have been able to resist that yeah so while i you know it is worth pointing out that one of the great tango teachers of all time actually does a course called it takes one to tango oh. yeah. and indeed there's a there's a, a a book called It Takes One to Tango, which is about, written by a diplomat who had a long term career showing that, you know, sometimes somebody can overwhelm you. And that's true. That that's definitely then, true. Then, as you say, there'll be a participant process. Yeah. And there has to come a point where you stop participating, which is where critical thinking becomes that's right. kind of
1: vital. That's right.
0: But we are so easily golden tricked and I believe profoundly that that's because of our educational system. I believe that because we have a fundamentally authoritarian approach to education, and it is changing. I mean, um, Mm -hmm. Ben Robinson's work, Matthew Lipman's work, there are hundreds of schools that now reject the cookie-cutter model. And, you know, you will learn the answers to the SATS questions. (laughs) You know, you'll be useless in life, but you will have... Got this piece of paper that says that you know you've got your GED or what have you.
1: Fair enough. Yeah.
0: Um, so, I, I think there's an imbalance of power that we also have to add to the equation. That while you're, it does require your right. participation.
1: No, you're absolutely right. I realize in saying that whole screed that it comes across or could be interpreted as you know in the in the victim blaming realm, and I'm not trying to go there at all. No. I was trying to make the point that it that it is a, a cooperative effort. But you're absolutely right, and again. You know, uh, if you want an example of this that's not in the Scientology world, uh, you know, I'll I'll point to Larry Ray again and I'll point to that documentary again because it'll show it to you. I mean, yeah, all those kids were kind of active participants, but you cannot in any point along the narrative blame those kids for what the hell happened to them. And that's not the point of view that I'm trying to bring to this. I'm just trying to say you can resist, you can fight back, you don't have to be a victim of it but not if you don't understand what's going on.
0: Yeah, and if you've if you if you've not had the education to to see how it's working, if, if you've been brought up to believe that you should be obedient, then, I mean, the other end of it, and I, I recommend this to everybody, have you seen the documentary Kumare?
1: Yes. Yes, I have.
0: Because here you see somebody with interesting intentions who is not at all malevolent, That's right. and you see how people give him power over them
1: that's right and that's I, what i'm, I'm talking about that's the kind yeah. of thing i'm talking about yeah yeah
0: i mean he For then sure. went on to make a soapy movie about barack obama but can't be <laughs> helped you know, you can't but it was
1: it. quite a fascinating documentary in you know it's in crazy. that in that cult leader follower relationship yeah you know somebody really who
0: lives. has no techniques and no wisdom and nothing and just says i'm a new jersey boy but i'm of indian south asian descent I'll grow a beard and put an orange robe on and talk like my grandma. Yep, and right. just walk around a, a, any town in Arizona, and people will start going, "Hey, will you teach me yoga?"
1: Yep, and so, before he knew it, he had a cult following. Hmm. I mean, by by design. I mean, he was he was doing hmm. this on purpose. It's fascinating. It's really interesting, especially. And when I he know that when you truth. meditate,
0: Chris, you you use the blue light. You use the blue light when yeah. you meditate. Yes, 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 of course. Brilliant documentary.
1: Yes, it was. It was very good.
0: I think so, we should probably move toward wrapping up. Yeah, I think we've we've reached a point of exhaustion and fatigue where <laughs> you know. Are you willing to confess now?
1: Oh, very much so. The- <laughs> well, let me ask. Let me ask you this. Let me end. Let me let me maybe move toward ending with this. Is you know, somebody asked me the other day in a live stream when I was doing a, a talk about brainwashing. I was talking about sleep and food deprivation mainly mm-hmm. because of the, the power of those things. And I fully realized that if I was in a controlled environment that was not under my control, I could be brainwashed. Yes. With everything I know, you could put me in a situation where I don't have the ability to resist. If you break me down... You know, you give it. I mean, back. We refuse to give
0: you a prawn sandwich anymore, and yeah, and
1: right. you know, I mean, stick me in a prison cell, something like that. But I'm talking about food and sleep deprivation. You know, you yeah. stick me in Guantanamo, on Guantanamo, or wherever, I'm not going to be able to resist that. That that's overwhelming force. Right. And it will tear you down. We're talking about stuff that tends to be a lot less than that. You know, walking into a Scientology org or walking into a you know Kabbalah Center or something. I mean, you're not gonna get tortured. So the the brainwashing is death possibly, but Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So the so you know, it can take a while. You know, it's kinda there's there's lots of ways of going about this, but the point is that there isn't any human being, I don't think, who couldn't be broken. It's just a matter of time, right? But that's with overwhelming force. In the day-to-day social situations that most of us run into, especially in the Western world, we have a lot of power of choice. And yeah. and that's where this education comes in handy. you know. But I don't want to give any pretense here that that this will make you brainwash proof you know because <laughs> i don't think there is such a thing if you really go all in on these techniques
0: yeah i i and it, and it's a matter of being able to resist the smaller inducements yes to uh en- enslavement i think possibly it is possible that, that a tiny proportion of human beings are beyond brainwashing okay um, but they're the people we call psychopaths and
1: oh that's an interesting point
0: yeah but otherwise mm. i agree with you that that mm. you know and, and even there it is you know possible it's been shown you can positively influence psychopaths and get them to change their ways mm. and there's there's partly a natural idea that that over the age of 50 people tend to calm down i saw an incredible interview with a guy who spent most of his violent criminals spent most of his life in prison, he'd gone to a therapist who happened to be a psychiatrist who dealt with psychopaths. There aren't very, very many, mm-hmm. and uh, allowed their conversations to be recorded. And he just basically said, "I don't want to live this way anymore. I, you know, this is a rotten life I have. I'm sick and tired of being in prison. I I want to get better. I want to change." Wow! And um, it wasn't for a parole board, so it wasn't something he'd been let out, and. So there, there, I think there is a natural thing there, but I think there are people who, but the, the proportion of psychopaths in the in the population is held to be about three percent of men and about one percent of women, so two percent of people overall. It's not that many, and the the thing you know for me, perhaps a, a, a final point for this conversation is to say, by understanding this problem, we can actually change the human future. And most of the people I talk to in this field uh, put on a happy face and they're cheerful and bright in public. But when I sit down with them privately, many people will say they have no hope for humanity. They think it's all ruined now. We're not going to save people. The predators are going to win. I don't hold that point of view. And I think to change that, you know, once you think it's inevitable that everything's going to fail, it will fail. Yeah. I think we are at an incredible turning point where we do have all of the tools to change this, and we're not using them. The idea that two guys like you and me, that that you and I, that that we are talking about this, whereas the, you know, the hundred thousand psychologists in the world are if they get, get to it at all, uh, uh, sort of say, well, you see, the Milgram experiment was wrong ethically right. because you shouldn't do that to people, and so we mustn't learn anything from it. Right. I
1: exactly.
0: think that by recognizing the authoritarian strand in our nature and recognizing this this need to have this childish dependence on others and their wisdom, we can actually change as a species we can do something wonderful um we don't have to keep going in this uh you know lemming-like pursuit and i'm told it's not true what they say about lemmings they're <laughs> actually very sociable and don't commit suicide but this this pursuit of suicide which seems to be fundamental to the human race this yeah. this you know I don't want to get into freud and the death wish thanatos all of that nonsense and i think there's a bit more to Ernst Becker would probably be a better source than Freud on this mm. but nonetheless we don't have to be that we can actually do wonderful and positive things and we can have a good time doing it that's right you know which is the other thing because we can have the camaraderie you know and the friendship that you and I have developed by trying to do something positive in the world rather than you know the glee of destruction yes
1: exactly to, yeah. I, I will yeah. i will agree with you 100 percent on that i really will my only the only times i get down or you know depressed whatever um you know, as as I realized recently, you know, I mean, there's a lot of lies going on in your head when you're in a depressive episode. You know, you're you're ignoring an awful lot of good stuff when you're when, great tinted, when, yeah. you know, when I'm in that space. Right. And so I can I can agree completely that really from a more rational, objective perspective, it's it's absolutely I will accent the the, the, the positive there.
0: Accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, latch on to the affirmative, do not mess with Mr. in between. (laughs) Oh my god, stop it,
1: stop it. (laughs) I forgot about that. Uh, John quoting Scientology at me.
0: Well, no, it's it's Bing Crosby, actually.
1: (laughs) Oh, wait, that's right. I'm sorry, I got that confused with the fucking. uh, My bad, my bad. (laughs) splurge on it yes that's so cont- i was getting <laughs> confused with hubbard's spirit of play crap that's right
0: yeah exactly yes. yeah
1: yes no it be- i'll go with being a hundred percent of the time on that one <laughs> yeah. that's it okay good yep. john all right let's wrap up thank you very much uh for joining me in this and uh and for your channel as well we always we, we love you guys you guys are the best <laughs>
0: uh and and let's say that if if somebody watching this on my channel please go and subscribe to chris's channel and And if you're watching on chris's channel come and do that and if you've got a few bucks and can manage patreon we are working out devious things that we can offer to you that no one else will get (laughs) exclusive offers i'm currently i'm i i I was the other week i was like why am i doing this this is just stupid Uh, you know for for what you know i haven't made it a single cent in four years doing this. You know we are almost, almost supporting half of Spike's livelihood from what we do. And I'm, why am I doing this? And then I came and looked at all the positive comments on yeah. on the thing I'd done. Now the thing I'd done was read out to camera a paper that I delivered in 2013 in Copenhagen. Yes, the keynote paper at the Fecris conference, and um, it's been online ever since then. And I read really it and people go, oh, wow, this is great. So I went, ah, people want me to read things out loud. Okay. So what I've just done, and we're going to get to soon, is my little booklet, Scientology, The Cult of Greed, which I still believe is is the basic primer, or as Americans sometimes say, primer. I'm not really sure why. Um, on Scientology, that's what it was meant to be. And I spent I've spent more time on this than anybody else, because I'm more foolish than anybody else, probably. But I thought I'll read it out loud, and that way we've got an audiobook, but on my channel exclusively for Patreon patrons, they can watch me reading it out loud. <laughs> so, And we will get to, let's sell these people a piece of blue sky, but that might Good. take a few days. To
1: I get, I get asked it. about that a lot, John. People really do yeah. want that as an audiobook.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm I'm on it. I was actually going to start work on it today, but I've spent so much time talking to you. I I know I'm talking.
1: (laughs) I get in your way. Well. Let's wrap up then. Got it all. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually, you know, the, the, you bring this up, and I have always said all my content on my YouTube channel will be free. But I wonder if I shouldn't get around that a little bit on Patreon and start putting up some Patreon only stuff. Uh, if if any of my viewers out there, by the way, on this on on my end of this conversation, are are interested in anything along those lines, do let me know because I am uh, you know I'm always interested in uh, in in giving you guys more data that you want. And uh, and if that's a way of going about doing it, I'll do it.
0: yeah and, and let's face it, as Aaron Hubbard said, free service, free fall <laughs> So you know if you don't pay us, then you're going to go to hell. <laughs> there it's you go <laughs> easy, really. but no my dilemma over the whole patreon thing and and I think Jack Conti and Patreon absolutely brilliant as an idea yeah but the, the whole exclusive content it's like I don't want to deny information
1: exactly so.
0: By having these wonderful videos of me reading from a book. That's, you know, what a spectacular and wonderful thing to offer to people. I won't be sitting on any cakes. Spike suggested that, said that that could be quite good, but I won't be doing that. And I will not be taking my top off to read this. Sorry.
1: But, I, I think I think the I think the general thankfully. viewing public will be quite happy about that. In <laughs> the same way, <laughs> that nobody wants to see this guy. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's wrap up, uh, folks out there. Thanks for coming around and listening to us gabber on at a mad rate about all of this. We really hope uh, all of this was entertaining, informative, and educational for you. That is always the goal. Thanks for coming around. I'll see you next week.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. Cheer bye. Bye bye.